This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. Today on the show, a journalist with a very controversial new article on surefire ways to avoid stretch marks, hemorrhoids, pelvic injuries, all the disturbing body changes after having a baby that you know we're not afraid to talk about. <laughs> you guys, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding you. I'm not Hillary. I'm Casey Wilson. And I am guest hosting the show today. Hillary is off working on her new book and solving the crisis of modern parenting. So just for this week, I am subbing in and I'm so excited to be here. Here's a little bit about me. I'm an actress, a writer, and a comedian, but I'm also a mom. And I'm actually currently pregnant with my second child, very pregnant. And I've also been on the show before. I talked about becoming a mother after my own mom passed away. So when Hillary approached me about guest hosting the longest, shortest time, I was like, absolutely not. Just kidding again. I said, where do I sign? And I knew exactly who I wanted to talk to. You know when you have a friend you're close with and there's something that you've been meaning to talk to them about, but you just never seem to find the time? Well, my friend like that is Jesse Klein. Hi, I'm Jesse Klein, and I wrote a book called You'll Grow Out of It. Jesse is an amazing, confident, hilarious woman. She's done stand-up. She's written for Saturday Night Live. She won an Emmy for her work on Inside Amy Schumer. And she has an almost two-year-old son named Asher, who is, I'm proud to say, BFFs with my son, Max. So naturally, I wanted to take this opportunity to corner Jesse in a small, very hot, foam-lined room and make her answer all of the questions I have secretly been dying to ask her about motherhood. So that's what we're going to do. Little warning, I've got an interview style that's a little more two friends riffing and chatting than you might normally hear on this show, but I think you're going to like where it goes. And I hope you get to know Jessie like I know her, as a new mom who's got a whip-smart sense of humor and has learned a lot about parenthood through some bouts of depression, raising kids in a world you didn't completely expect, and what that can end up bringing out in you. Jessie and I live in the same neighborhood in Los Angeles, and we've been in the same circles for a while, but I felt like I should take this opportunity to admit to Jessie how we truly first came in contact. I remember you from a night at UCB comedy years and years ago, and mm. I was dating a comedian that you dated. Oh, I know. Okay. tall improv gentleman. Yes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he basically told me, like, very boldly, like, oh, I used to date her. And I then became seething with jealousy oh, over you. <laughs> really? That is a like, true shock. Though it was incredibly difficult, we both got over that guy. Years later, I married my husband, David, and moved out to L.A. And Jesse and her husband, Mike, moved out here shortly after when their son, Asher, was six months old. Jesse and I reconnected, and now we're mom friends. She comes to a baby music class I host at my house. Don't be jealous. We're in the same mom group on Facebook for our area, so we know each other pretty well. But when I sat down to read Jesse's book, I learned a lot of new stuff, like how she's been through some really relatable things to get where she is. In your book you talked about, which I love this phrase, you were a Tom man. I was a Tom, well, I... <laughs> Right. I'm a Tom man now. You're a Tom man now. I That's what happens when a Tom when a, a Tom, Tom boy, boy grows up. Grows up and does not grow out of it. You then just become a Tom man. And a Tom boy is sort of like, oh, so cute. You're in your like overalls and you have like dirt on your knees and then very cute. So cute. Yeah. It's just like a pippy long stocking. Mm -hmm. And then if you're like 34, <laughs> <laughs> and still rocking, like, the same vibe, and you're a Tom man. Like, that's not a thing. No one's interested. <laughs> it's a hard pass. 
Jessie says she's never felt entirely comfortable being girly and doing girly things, but she wasn't particularly masculine either. It's not like she tried out for the high school football team or anything. She was just slow to embrace being the mature, elegant woman that sits before me. I'm curious, as someone who identified as a tomboy growing up, did you see yourself as a mom when you were little? I never, um, not only did I not see myself as a mom when I was little, I think I still have trouble seeing myself as a mom uh, in any capacity. I had friends, I think, starting around junior high school who would, like, talk about, like, wanting to have kids when they were of age, and I was never that person. Were you? Did you I always want to have kids? More, yeah, I yeah. Think so. There were I had friends who like truly were like babies, 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 babies. And I kind of thought I probably won't. There's some world in which maybe I would. I was just didn't I I couldn't picture it. And so what made you then decide to have a kid? Were you describe for me where you were in your career and kind of in your life when you decided this? Mm. Um, you're doing a great job, by the way. These are you're really summing up and leading into a question. It's all going so well. I feel uh, like Christian on the poor. Um, I it was less like career. I think. Uh, well, I got married, and we we'd sort of um, while we were dating talked about like, are we going to have kids? And my memory of the conversations that we had. It's very different than his memory of the conversations once we were actually married because I was like, oh, I thought it was kind of like we're ambivalent. And he was like, oh, no, no, we're definitely, definitely having This union will not survive without kids. (laughs) Yeah, just so you know, there's an ultimatum that's on the table. Uh, No, and I I was – I guess I just was like I want to truly leave this till the last possible moment of fertility that can be squeezed out of my <laughs> ovum. Eked out. Eked out. Whatever pulsating last bit of life I want to wait. And I did, I was, uh, I guess I was 38 when I got pregnant. And did you have trouble getting pregnant? I did, Casey. Yes, I did. <laughs> there was Hate quite a bit of, <laughs> um, there was quite a bit of scaffolding that had to be put up around my uterus and other parts to get it to happen. Um, yeah, it was in a weird way, actually, I didn't fully know the moment I was, I really wanted to have kids was when I found out that I might not be able to have kids. Mm. And I, I kind of had a backwards experience where I have like these rid- ridiculous hip injury and I was thinking about getting surgery. And then if you have the surgery, you have to put off conceiving for what, just because you're on pain drugs for so long. And my doctor was like, this is already the longest, longest time to take to tell a story, but the longest, sh- shortest, the time. longest, <laughs> longest, longest time. Uh, she was like, we could do a uh, t- a blood test that like measures uh, like what your fertility is. I did that too. And What's it called? Your AMH. For those of you who are not hashtag blessed enough to be familiar, an AMH is a test measuring the level of anti-malarian hormone. So that's a signal of how ready your eggs are to get going. And by get going, I mean create human life. Yeah. We can I, measure your AMH. I went into my OBGYN and I was like, the good news is I'm waiting a bunch of years. And she's yeah. like, well, let's just take a little test. Let's and just see. peek and see. Yeah. Let's under, peek the under the hood. Yeah. And she's like, ooh. Yeah. I So I got the call while I was at work because um, she'd been like, you'll be fine. You're 38. Like, this is, you're in good health all as well. Yeah. And then my AMH number was like 
the lowest so is mine. number it can be, like where it's like the less than arrow sign. And yeah. you can never she remember. Me on a Saturday. <laughs> well, oh, how nice. Yeah. Um, and she basically was like, not to panic, which of course then makes you panic. Yeah. But she was like, you know, you need to start trying like immediately and we should get you to a fertility doctor immediately. And it wasn't that she was like, this can't happen, but, you know, I was grilling her with questions and she was like, well, there's like a less than 5% chance that you'd be able to conceive naturally. Wow. Uh So then I just, and then I had a very unpredicted nervous breakdown about it where I just suddenly was, I was decimated by it, which I would never have predicted because I really was someone who was like, eh. But you also thought at that time that the possibilities were endless. You would have time. I Yeah, I guess. I just was, it was not, I was not a woman who was like living with thinking about having kids, like in really any capacity. It wasn't a worry or a thought in my head. And then when I got that information, I really, I really like sank. And I was pretty sunk through the whole fertility process, which I mean, I was actually ended up, relatively speaking, being kind of lucky in that I, we did uh, months of drugs, but then like, I would say it was about an eight-month process. Mm-hmm. And people go through it for years and years yeah. and years. But I really struggled. It's such a depression. difficult process. Oh, yeah. with depression during it. I mean, there was like a physical amount of struggle that you go through, but then I was, yeah, and it was, it was the level of depression, but then the level of shock I was having about how bad I was feeling about it. I just Mm. didn't know that that would be my experience. And then you find out you're pregnant with Asher. And how did you feel when you, after Um, all that went into it? um, I mean, I, it was, I was very excited and kind of shocked because we did uh, an IUI, um, a turkey based, it's a medical term, IUI is the slang. Um, And like one other fertility doctor who I had been to, who I fired, who had just been like, you should go into, like, we should start doing IVF yesterday, like right away. Mm. And um, and I was not, I didn't love her vibe. To me, the vibe of that doctor, it needs to be so right. You just want a positive vibe, I yeah. think, and just the right, t- it's very delicate. Yeah. The right touch. Yeah. There's this one doctor in LA that many friends have fired, and he literally mm. apparently has said to friends, just like, <laughs> oh, he no. just starts off with like sounds. He's like, oh boy. Oh no. It's like, you know what, sir? That's not the, not mm. what we're needing right now. He's, Use your words. Yeah. Use your words. There's mention of cobwebs he's used. That word has escaped Shut. his lips. And it's like, no, you fucking asshole. These are women who are coming in. He said, yes. Cobwebs? To a couple friends, yes. Like, as in, like, I'm looking in your vagina and I yes. see cobwebs. In it, as in, and a lot of talk of pipes and clo- it's like you know what no uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um so how did you feel during pregnancy um i i was pretty lucky with the pregnancy like i didn't really get sick um like i would say compared to i know people who had very difficult situations and i that I was actually kind of surprised because I'm such a, a delicate orchid in almost every other way. And basically, like, I am someone who has, like, sprained my shoulder waking up in the morning. And that is not a joker. I'm, I'm just like, oh! Uh, so I thought for sure, like, a life growing between my legs would uh, would hobble me. Um, yeah. But that part of it was okay. I think I was very scared the first trimester— I was very scared of miscarrying, um, and I assumed 
I kind of was like, it's so common. I assume I will. And that will be decimating because it was so hard to get here. And I remember going, like, every time I had to go to the bathroom and, and can I say wipe? (laughs) Every time I would say wipe, wipe um, I was, like, ready to be like, oh, no. And that, and so my anxiety was happening where I felt like, other than my husband, we told no one. Like, I, I was waiting for that three-month mark mm-hmm. where you could – you get the, like, okay, you've kind of made it. Now you can tell. And I probably should have told people. I didn't have any – I didn't tell my girlfriends. I didn't tell anybody. Did you Which tell is, people? I did. I told people, like, immediately. That's the but right decision, I, I think. I don't know. I mean, it's so personal. I did kind of feel like, you know – it's so strange to hold that type of news, I yeah. think, and I was excited but also scared. And then I kind of felt like, well, I'll tell people probably the same women if right. something does happen. Right. But, well, I'm asking about pregnancy only because I'm pregnant with my second, and I, I will just f- freely admit I hate being pregnant. And I feel yeah. guilt and shame around saying that for so many reasons. First of all, I, too, have endured, you know, fertility right. things. So I have such compassion for anyone who's wanting to be pregnant. And right. I, so I feel badly saying that just simply I've been so, so sick and so kind of, I think I'm probably very, maybe either just weak or. Clearly you're weak. I, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know what it is, but no, you're every aspect of it has thrown me to, taken me to my knees. No, it's And I hard. love the baby portion, yeah, tremendously, but the pregnancy part, I'm just like, oh. I want to be clear. Like when I say, like I wasn't sick. Like that's, I didn't enjoy being pregnant in any capacity. Yeah. Like I, people who talk about like glowing or whatever, and more power. Like I'm, I wish I had experienced Me the too. glow. I did not feel the glow. I did. I think the one thing. The, the memory, the positive memory I take away from the pregnancy was I did feel like I had permission to eat everything. And I thought about it because I was like, as a woman, we, so many of us, maybe not all of us, but so many of us spend our whole lives like just constantly, like you don't ever eat without thinking about like, is this okay? In a is this enough? state of battening down the hatch. Battening down the hatches. And then and I was aware, and I was also, we were in production on on the show I was working on, so there was like a craft service table, and I was just like, I'm ready to have at it. Like, yeah. I'm, there's no self-control I'm going to have because I'm pregnant. We're sh- I'm like working 14-hour days, like, F it. I'm yeah. going crazy. But I, the flip side of that was I was very aware of, like, how sad is it that, like, this is, this this moment has just become about, like, permission to eat. Yeah. It's so weird. I totally feel what Jesse is saying about this. Sidebar, a little pregnancy treat I eat all the time are these ice cream sandwiches. They're called It's It's. They are these individually wrapped cookies, little slices of heaven with ice cream in the center. They're dipped in chocolate. Guys, they're decadent. In fact, I even eat them when I'm not pregnant and I'm starting to think I have a problem. So anyway... Jesse didn't love pregnancy, and she said a big reason for that was that pregnancy brought on even more depression. I'm someone who's, like, dealt with depression most of my life anyway, and I'm prone to it, but it kind of reared up during the pregnancy in ways it was really intense, and I went to, um, I don't know, I looked up some kind of specialist, and I I was, like, desperate to fix it. I was like, I can't continue to feel this way. And she was like, you know— there are things you could take. She kind of left it to me. She's like, there's 
some very small statistic that you can either live with or not about like taking drugs while you're in your pregnancy. And she's like, I certainly recommend it for some women who are like just too depressed to like function or exist. Because um, apparently that's so much worse for so the much baby worse. for you to not be feeling well than. I think women, it's also like you can have permission to just say it's so much worse for you. Jessie's depression was complicated by a bunch of factors. She and her husband had just moved to a new apartment, which they were also renovating. She'd look around and see plastic sheeting and dust when all she wanted to see was a cozy nest for her baby. She felt this pressure to be a happy pregnant lady, but she wasn't happy. And that made her even more depressed. She was afraid she had already failed at being a good mom. But with the help of her doctor, Jessie decided she would start taking antidepressants after her baby was born. And it was like, I will break glass the second he crowns. <laughs> and then that is basically what happened. Like he, the minute the umbilical cord was snipped, I was like, num, 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 num. Like yeah. I'm taking all of the Zoloft. And it was a lifesaver. Yeah. Game change. Me too. Made, I, it really, it was so much better for me and my child in terms of my ability to like function and enjoy whatever in those first three months can be enjoyed. So I went on like two months after Max was born. And I just, I think there is that, I don't know if you felt this, that little moment of like, with everything that happened after Max was born, I had this like, this this plaguing question, like I'm a terrible mom if I do this. And then once I would get past that question, it was like amazing. It's like, am I terrible if I do formula? No, I'm actually free. Am I terrible if I have some stuff left? My life has turned around. Like every little thing I would struggle with for the night and then it was like a watershed moment of just letting myself off the hook and just doing what I needed to do. But I just remember crying so so oh, much, and that really lessened. So much crying. I think, like, even just—I wasn't such a—I f- mean, I think some of it was, like, the usual fog that you're probably in when you have a baby, um, and then some of it was, like, depression fog. But I just, like, I would just wake up and be like, I don't even know, like, what to do with him today. Like, I can't organize. I was just, like, underwater. And then, and then like, once, like, the Zoloft, like, made the clouds part, I was like, oh, I'm, ex- I'm going to, like, go in his room and, like, look in the crib, and I can appreciate, like, how cute he looks as, like, this little bean, and, like, I'm going to go to the park, and, like, maybe not everything in my life is, like, what I want it to be right now, but, like, I can... I can like make it through. I mean, it was it was like a dark. It feels so dark to be talking about it. It's crazy. Yeah. I was in such a such a dark space, but the medication like made all the difference. Yeah, I remember our our friend Christy saying to me at one point like uh, like What are you trying to win? And there's like there is nothing to be won. Like there's no award. Yeah. That I know. Oh, is there? <laughs> there <laughs> but if is someone was like, there is, oh. You were not um, in the running. Oh, no. <laughs> um, that's a real bummer. Um, but yeah, I was like, no, there's no winning. And so then there's just doing it. And so why not try to do it like with the least amount of suffering? Coming up, yeast infections in places you never thought you could get them. We're going to get real, guys. Don't go away. Advertisements. 
We are back with my hilarious friend and writer, the lovely Jesse Klein. Jessie's book, You'll Grow Out of It, is a memoir made up of essays. Some are about her childhood, some are about being a mom, and one, my favorite one, was excerpted in the New York Times. So oh, exciting. Woo. Oh, great lady. Yes. The essay is called Get the Epidural. Oh, no. Do you hear that? I think that's the sound of a thousand women screaming back at the podcast. But here's the thing. No matter what you believe, I think everyone can take something from this essay. And look, Jesse and I honestly love epidurals, and I wish I had one right now. But I think the larger idea in Jesse's piece is why women are not trusted to make decisions about their own bodies, no matter what those decisions might be. It's such a funny, beautiful, powerful essay, truly. Oh, thank you, Jason. About uh, your reaction to kind of a stranger asking you if you were going to have a natural childbirth. And so if you wouldn't mind <laughs> treating us sure. to an excerpt. Um, okay. It's interesting that no one cares very much about women doing anything naturally until it involves their being in excruciating pain. No one ever asks a man if he's having a natural root canal. No one ever asks if a man is having a natural vasectomy. This is why I generally believe, and of course I know there are exceptions, but I'm just saying usually you should get the epidural. <laughs> I love no it. Judgments. No judgments. No but- judgments. I was so happy that this was the essay that was— excerpted in in the times and if i was like if there's one thing that i want to have some reach i sensed uh an experience during my pregnancy before and after that there's so much pressure on women to like have this quote unquote natural birth which i think is just i just i think it's like an unfair use of that word I totally agree. And I also think there's something to be said for you being in a good state of mind and just enjoying the birth, which I actually did in a strange way. And and obviously, I didn't have, you know, major complications. And I know many people have. But I remember kind of feeling like this has been a lot of work this nine to 10 months. And now I kind of want to just be here. And enjoy it totally. in a way. I yeah, and, and have I, a laugh, which sounds strange, but I did, and that to me was like the best birth for me. For my husband, and I were just having laughs. My lab my Labor Day was uh, like I woke up at five thirty in the morning, which is Asher's still to this day preferred wake up time. <laughs> having contractions, <laughs> and you know, we had agreed. I was very like, I want an epidural asap when when it's I would when like it one happens. Now. I mean, and oh. I'm. If Starbucks would just make Please. a frothy, ice-cold epidural. But um, – and my doctor's only advice to me. She's like, well, try to stay home as long as you can before you go to the hospital just because it will make your life easier. So I was like – you know, there's those first contractions. You're like, oh, this is oh, – this kind of hurts. It's kind of funny. And then, <laughs> like, it ha- it actually, like, started very quickly progressing. And then I was, like, barfing, as you do. Yeah. And – and then it, the pain was so overwhelming that I was, it was causing me to panic. I like couldn't function. Yeah. And we made it to the hospital. And I was like, "Give me the epidural!" And um, and the minute I got it, like I was, I remember like you know you are in a panic when you're when you're in pain that much pain. And I was in the bed and like I just remember like relaxing. And we put the TV on and. God bless the E Network. Uh, there was a Sex in the City marathon happening that day, what and a I, beautiful uh, collision of uh, events. So perfect! And I was eating ice pops and watching Sex in the City I was all day civilized. long. 
And then, like, I pushed for an hour and a half. And, again, so lucky that nothing, like, super complicated happened. But if I had been in the pain I was in that morning, I wouldn't have been present in any way to experience anything about it. Yeah. I just would have been like, get me out of here, get me out of here. Well, at the end of the essay, you wrote that basically trying to avoid pain in childbirth is pointless because there'll be plenty more pain in your life as a parent. So would you read starting from the pain of recovery? Sure. Um, The pain of recovery, no matter how you give birth, the pain of nursing, the pain of not fitting into any of your old clothes, the pain of not fitting into even your maternity jeans, the pain of hearing your baby cry and not knowing how to fix it, the pain of wondering whether your partner still finds you attractive, the pain of arguing with your husband while your child is in the other room, the pain of knowing that you witnessed the very first moment of this beautiful person's life and that one day, oh God, why am I going to make myself cry? And you hope that at least it's 100 years from now, there will inevitably be a last moment. So really get the epidural. <laughs> it's so, it's so beautiful. I no. had a moment that was such a big moment in my birth, in my birth, in my child's birth. Because I've never, I also, when I was taking classes, they always want to show you videos of people giving birth. And I've always been like, hard pass. Yeah, no, <laughs> no thank thanks. you. So I had never really seen a birth. It's the only birth I think I will ever witness, really. And I was like, oh my God, this is the beginning. Like, how often do you see the very beginning? And it makes you think about the end. Um, And all of this is to say, like, just give yourself a break. Well, we'll just quickly talk about, speaking of giving yourself a break, just breastfeeding. Yeah. I, I feel there's some similarities to the epidural with breastfeeding, and maybe it's just my own experience. I My experience with it was it was torturous at the beginning. And it was, I mean, I remember some of those moments. It was just like such intense pain. And then I got, um, in case anyone isn't eating, you should start right now. I got a yeast infection in my boob. <laughs> I got a yeast infection in my boob. What? Hi. Oh, God. I am on Tinder. Oh, God in heaven. <laughs> Swipe right. Um, <laughs> For this yeasty yeah. Tom man. I, I, <laughs> Yes. But I will also say Asher also got formula in addition from day one. And the day we brought Asher home, again, you're just like in shock and I'm like trying to put a baby on me to breastfeed. And uh, he was crying. And we had not like purposely purchased any formula, but because we had a baby registry, like big brother, like you start, we started getting formula samples in the mail, like (laughs) truly. And then- we fed him, and he was like, I will stop crying now. I am full. And then he had formula in addition to – I never – I didn't make enough on my own. So, uh, yeah. I had that thing with breastfeeding. It's a weird – I wish I knew the name of it. You can look it up. But where I felt this intense depression, I'm talking like a drop from one to just the bottom would drop out just for the first minute right, right, with every right. breast. right. Where I was like, every breast. No, both breasts. You know what I mean? Every breast. (laughs) All of my breasts. I just mean like, he'd be on one side and I would just have to like grip on the sides of the couch. And I'm like, I'm plummeting into a depression where I'd be like happy. And then I was like, should I end my life? And then I was like, I'm okay. (laughs) And then I'd switch over and just like brace myself for it to happen again. And those little micro depressions many times during the day, I was finally like, I don't know about this. Yeah. Skip it. Skip it. Um, so we did look it up, and that depression thing I was having is called Demare, dysphoric milk ejection reflux. So, yeah, I'm pretty lucky. Anyway, 
Another reason why I was excited to talk to Jessie was because of how much this woman gets done. She's a working mom, and so am I, but Jessie just gives off this vibe of confidence, like she knows what she's doing, and it is so inspiring. So I wanted to know more about that. You wrote your book after Asher was born, right? Or I, during? My, yeah, it took me like three years. So I had started before I was even married, but then I, uh, the, I would say like the last third of it, I finished after he was born. And I'm not proud of much, but I am proud of how I ended up writing in those final months of finishing the book where I had a newborn, I had a job. Like I was waking up at 4.30 in the morning to write for an hour before he woke up. Like it was insane. Wow. It was truly nuts. I don't know how I did it. But you, hey, what were, like, what has your work said? You were working, you told me, like, in your last trimester. I worked throughout the pregnancy, and then I shot Tig Notaro's show. Like, Max was three months. We went to New Orleans. But it was really good for me. Because Tell me. I, well, I got to bring him, and we went to New Orleans, and it just kind of, like, shook everything up. But until then, I was a shut-in in my own home, like, crying with a hand on the window pane, like, never left. Yeah, no, of was course, just, that's what you do at three months. And it was actually really great because I wasn't working that much. Right. So I got to like be with Max, but also work. And that's when motherhood turned for me big time where I was like, oh, yeah. okay, I'm a human I'm again. a human I'm again. doing something. There was a bar in the hotel. And just to go down to the sure bar there for was. an hour, I was like, I'm living. I'm great. back. Oh, I threw out my pump. Everything was <laughs> happening. I just threw away. I mean, I stopped doing anything involved with boob feeding when he was eight months old. But for some reason, I had all my pump parts like in a drawer in my bathroom. I think like I was like, I'll donate this. And then it's like, no, you can't donate like the two. Like some of it is like yeah, just soiled by your body. And I, I finally that. was like, oh, I'm going to throw this away today. Yeah. And it was so freeing. But I was just going to say about working uh, I went back to work when Asher was six weeks old because our nanny started. And I I so clearly remember, like, I was with her. Like, a week went by, and then I was like, okay, I can I – I'm going to go. I'm going now. I'm leaving. And I remember the moment of walking out the door of our apartment at the time in New York and, like, it was like in the movies when someone like starts to walk and then it picks into a jog and then like a run. <laughs> it was that out the door where I was like, it was the first moment I cheered up. Yes. But uh, but now I will say one of the things that's really hard, um, not as hard as many other people with less options have it. Uh, like I want to be working full time, but certainly like – TV writing, there are a lot of shows where your hours are very, very long. And um, I just haven't, I don't really see a way to take those jobs. And part of me wants to because I actually like, I don't want to work crazy hours, but I always prided myself on being the person who's like, I'm last off this boat. Like, I'm staying late. Uh, I enjoyed my job. Um, And now, you know, just logistically, my husband has like a corporate job with less flexibility than I have. And so I have to go get the kid from the nanny. And I, I'm kind of currently trying to figure out like, well, how am I going to – I have to find a job that like works with this. And yeah. it's – and also some of my identity is like it's a bummer to be the one who's like I have to leave. 
Yeah. Like, I, I'm not that person. I want to stay. I love to work. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. As I've said, I'm pregnant with my second kid. And even though so much about pregnancy and breastfeeding was really hard for me, I always knew I wanted another child. My husband and I both have really meaningful relationships with our siblings, so we wanted that for our son. But Jesse has come to a different decision. I am uh, very much not having a second kid. Um, I think, like, even if I could, buy, like, physically get pregnant again, I wouldn't want to. I, I also feel like we are at capacity. Yeah. Like, I can't. And I feel that is the one— I think the one area where I do feel some true guilt about, like, Asher not having a sibling is I'm like, oh, like, we're old, we're really old parents, and we have small families, and it would be nice for him to have, like, a little teammate, but—and um, I have guilt about that, but then I'm like, oh, like, just— be good friends with Max. <laughs> yeah, but I love like, what you're saying. Borrow Max? He'll have like, Max. Cool? Yeah, yes. I love Max. Please take him. Yeah. But I like what you're saying. We're at capacity. That's just such a great thing. You know yourself. Like when you're at capacity and it's the truth. And when we're at capacity, we are at capacity. I'm at full capacity. And that's, yeah, I, I feel like. Uh, and do you feel that emotionally or with Mike or with working or just in general? Like, oh, just, yeah, very much across the board. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and Mike, I think, feels at capacity as well. Like, the one of the few things we agree on as a couple is we are at capacity. And how did you find your relationship with your partner? <laughs> <laughs> Everything okay? <laughs> what did you just hear? So- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other than your yeasty breasts, um, what? <laughs> uh, um, I just remember an evening... <laughs> I remember an evening um, my husband was much was obsessed with sleep and sleep training. He was like, <laughs> I'm in charge of sleep training. Like, the baby's going to cry and we are not going to go in. I'm like, God. right, right, right. And then, like, the baby started crying. And I was like, I'm going in. And he was like, no, do not go in. And he was standing in front of the door. And I was like, I made a push. A push is fine. A push totally happened. Yeah, we've and all been there. I, I was like, you never stand between me and my baby. Was like, yeah. It was like a physical altercation <laughs> about, like, are we letting the baby cry? It was the worst. Yeah. And then the way it ultimately ended up, <laughs> we were going to try again with sleep training. And then the first night, like— <laughs> Asher <laughs> shouldn't be laughing. It's not funny, but Asher <laughs> he cried so hard he threw up. <laughs> so, which happens? Like, does it? We we're watching. Yeah, apparently it does. <laughs> well, now I see why you wanted to get in there. Watching on the mo- well, that, this was the second time around. We're watching on the monitor. It's like, it's ah, ah, ah. <laughs> like, oh my god, this is not gonna work. And then I just ended up literally, literally pouring alcohol into a thermos and going to the roof. While Mike <laughs> dealt with sleep training. I think that's the finest way. I had to drink outside and Did just you shut the sliding door. My husband had to do it ultimately. He did, similar. Yeah. I was just like, I'm going to sit outside with headphones on. Yeah. And yeah. And that was actually one of the best nights I had. In a minute, why Jessie wishes her kids' clothes were covered in soup. Stay with us. Oh, you have your mouth closed, don't you? Advertisements. We're back with my friend Jesse Klein. 
So I have to admit something to you guys, and this might come as a pretty big shock, but I'm actually a raging liberal, and Jesse is too. We both have framed pictures of the Obamas on our mantles. I've invited Michelle Obama to every event I've ever hosted, Thanksgiving, my wedding. I just set a place card for her and hope that she shows. She has not yet. But I'm sure you can all understand that the election caught us by surprise, to say the least. We were shocked. So this is something I really wanted to touch on with Jesse. Um, you and I live in the same neighborhood in L.A., and our kids are in a music together, and we were both at this music class that we mentioned, mm-hmm. aforementioned. It's an amazing music class. class. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Uh, and I remember we had this class the day after the election. Oh, God. And... You and I, and ev- I think pretty everyone Everybody, there, yeah, was, everyone. we were destroyed. Destroyed. But it was so weird. I, I'm so glad that we had the class, and I remember the teacher played, oh. and I believe this is the song. I know the song. Okay, you tell. Well, no, you tell. She two. played What a Wonderful World. Yeah. And I have just, was just bawling during the class. Bawling. And it was so beautiful, actually. It was like the perfect thing to do because I was like, I don't know if I can go to this music class. And again, it's at my own house. <laughs> <laughs> you, know what and I, you know what? I've skipped it many times and just been in my room. It's totally fine. I'm working. I put in quotes. You can't see me. Mm-hmm. But it was so beautiful to have, truly have all the kids there. And tearing up. Tearing I know. Up. And it was kind of the only moment of the next months that felt right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really amazing moment. And it, I, and I, as you say that, it's actually also making me think about uh, as hard as it can be to have like a, a toddler, or, you know, these kids at this age. One of the things in the wake of the election that I was also really grateful for, because, yeah, it was gutted, so gutted, uh, was like that I had my baby at that age to play with and, like, cuddle. And, like, there was something so healing about just I'm, like, putting my phone down and I have this little cuddle bug. And, like, those moments were some of the few, like, just moments of, like, this is where I am, and I'm present, and I, I, I get to take a break. I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how have you kind of felt in the wake of the election as it relates to being a mom? Um, I mean, it's obviously pretty tread. I'm just like, I don't know if this is really an answer to the question, but I remember during the campaign, there was one particularly, like, bleak week, or just his bleakness was just— so bad. And I was giving my son a bath and, you know, they're in the bath and they're like naked and like so like just it's like the most like vulnerable and cute that they are like wet and naked in the bath. And I was, I just was like the idea that this horrible man would in some way have decision-making ability over this beautiful child made me furious. And I, I'm, it's like, I'm shaking saying, like, it just makes me furious. Um, And I remember crying to my husband at one point, again, before the election, where I was just so anxious about it. And I was like, he's gonna let there be guns in schools. I'm tearing up thinking about it. I was just like, I can't. After the election, Jessie says her anxiety was off the charts. She'd scroll through Twitter and find herself getting so overwhelmed that her first instinct was to just 
quit social media completely and hide. But then she decided to do something that kind of blew me away. She went into our mom's group on Facebook and she reached out. It felt like the only positive, productive thing to do is be like, does anyone want to get off the internet and talk about how we get out of this? And um, and I'd never done anything like that before. I'm not, I'm politically minded, but um, not an organizer, more of a participator. But you reached out to everyone, and I believe it was the Sunday after the election, and just said, who wants to meet? And mm-hmm. it was pretty powerful. There was, I would say, 150, maybe I'm... 100 women. 7,000 women. <laughs> Probably just like 200,000 women. And there was a gym full of women. It was a gym full of yeah, women. Yeah. That kind of arrived on a Sunday night right after the election, and you like put the chairs in a circle. It really was just this beautiful idea that you had to kind of gather everyone, and you didn't seem to have any particular agenda. No, you know, I have no know, idea what I'm doing. Yeah. It's very not like me. I'm not like a leader in this way, Like I and not to self-deprecate it, but I'm just not usually this person, truly. And um. It's been really amazing. Like, and I kind of am now so happy because it's like has its own life. Yeah, the group has persisted. And in fact, nevertheless, it's persisted. It's true. The moms that gathered at Jesse's invitation that night have spawned into a full blown activist group. These women help support refugee families in the area, they organize speakers each week. They're out hounding the pavement, lobbying public officials, and they raise money for Planned Parenthood with a citywide bake sale. Bake America Great Again rolls off the tongue, and um, it's, like, such a simple idea. It's like, we'll raise money, like, as women have been doing forever with a bake sale, and it's like— But I thought, oh, they'll make a couple dollars. They'll make a couple dollars, a couple hundred bucks. But in just one day selling cookies in little bags, these moms raised over $30,000. Guys, moms get shit done. So seriously, a self-described Tom man helped connect a bunch of ladies who went out and baked things for a good cause. That is badass. So I wanted to know, now that she's a verified badass, how does Jessie plan to pass that on to her son? So much of your sense of humor and your writing focuses on being a woman and being a feminist and you're raising a little boy. So I was just curious how you're planning on kind of raising your son as a feminist or is that any agenda you have or? It's so interesting because I, like, so when I, first found out I was pregnant, um, I immediately had this, like, I just had this very intuitive feeling that I was having a girl. And I was like, <laughs> I would, like, talk to my belly and be like, hey, girl. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, I just I have this, like, magical Stevie Nicks intuition about my body, and I know it's a girl. <laughs> and, um, and then I later realized, oh, you're just a narcissist, and you, like, wanted to reproduce yourself, and I was having a boy. And I really had, like, a moment of adjustment when I found out it shifted, like, my thinking about what my parenting would be. In some ways, I don't know if, where this falls in the, like, sexism grid, but I, um, like, when I thought I was having a girl, I was like, I'm going to teach her to, like, love herself and just, like, have so much self-esteem. Yes. And, like, just, like, your body is so beautiful. Celebrate and, like, all those just curves. You're, oh, you're going to be so <laughs> real and have such real curves and be so beautiful. And then I found <laughs> I was having a boy, and I was like, oh, he'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> He's never going to worry about anything. Mm. He's going to be completely a-okay, and I don't have to worry about his self-esteem or his confidence in any way because I was just— I thought about everything I have struggled with, and I was like, oh— Boys don't have that. And I and obviously like that's not <laughs> entirely true and and men struggle with those things too, but clearly not in the same way and not with the same societal forces. But um I have 
I have like entered the world of like little boydom and I'm like, oh, now I'm really like I started to think about stuff I never thought about before. Just like what are the forces that like screw up little boys? And I think like when I go to buy his clothes, I am somewhat in shock at like how disgusting and horrible like – yeah. I had always, again, I had been prepared to be like, no pink, no princess stuff. Like, that's such bullshit for yeah. girls. But the bullshit for boys is, like, as toxic and horrible. Yeah. I don't know if you've had the same, yes. like, where I don't want him to wear, like, a a shirt with a picture of, like, a dinosaur, like, dick punching a bear or whatever it is. <laughs> it's always, like, so— It's always a dinosaur, like, vomiting flames. <laughs> it's a lot of— a lot of flame vomit and just like <laughs> fist pumping over like a vanquished enemy or yeah, like, if you, it's just like a lot of like pow, pow. It's a lot of pow. Yeah, and I'm like, why is there never just a a picture of like a like a bowl of soup or so anything else, <laughs> something peaceful? I know it's depressing. Well, my last question would just be, I'm just curious, like you, your best moment you've had with Asher. I'm trying to think. I I know, I know there are some really good ones. Calling anything um, up? <laughs> I like put it. I so I've been really lucky, and I've been able to like put him to bed most nights. Where like I read him. Like Mike gives him a bath, and then I I put him in his PJs, and like we read books, and I snuggle him and give him milk and go to bed. And um, when he was like just under a year, um, like I. I was always showing him, like, where's your heart? And I would put my hand on his heart and go, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. I'm like, that's your heart. That's your heart. And I was like, I love you. And I'd go, ba-boom, ba-boom. And then one night we were, like, reading some book called, like, I Love You So or something. And and uh, and I said, and we read it, and I was like, I love you. And he put his hand over his heart, and he went, ba-boom, ba-boom. And I was like, oh, oh wow. I'm dead. I'm yeah. dead. Like he knew he was like, I. it was like his first, like, I love you. And I. it just, yeah, wow. wrecked me. What's what good one you've had with Max? Oh, gosh. I've had so many great moments with Max. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with myself? I mean, just anytime he looks at me, I feel like it's a win. I just had a sweet moment with him because he's. He's very attached to my husband, like to such a degree that Who sometimes be? I know I am too. But yeah, I feel he's so attached to my husband that sometimes I'm like, does he like me? And I know Aww. he does, but I get kind of he's so you know into David, and I don't know. I'm I'm crying from your story, and it's we were good. in the rye class that you never should have given up. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, rye is a child rearing method to which I am a fond subscriber. Jessie, on the other hand, quit after one class because she, quote, just had a sense of what she was doing in that regard. So anyway, we were at the class singing our goodbye song, which only includes goodbyes to all the kids. You know, like goodbye, Reese, and goodbye, that's what everyone, and when it was done, he turned and he put his hand on my shoulder and turned to the teacher with anger and goes, goodbye to mommy. I, it was just like my heart exploded by his Goodbye indignant to anger. Like, Goodbye to bitch, <laughs> sing to my mom. That is a good and Max it moment. touched me very oh, deeply. Jesse's amazing book, You'll Grow Out of It, just came out in paperback. Go get it. You can find a link to buy it online at longestshortesttime.com. Also, where my Demare ladies at? Holla! We know some of you have written in to LST about this crazy condition before. 
And ladies, let me tell you, I feel you, truly. This has been so much fun. But of course, we want to hear what you think as well. Do you think I should be the new permanent host of The Longest Shortest Time? That is so sweet. I cannot. I co-host my own podcast with Daniel Schneider, which is called Bitch Sesh. It is just as important as this show. We discuss the Real Housewives. Anyway, we want to know how you related to Jesse's story. So please tell us in the comments for this episode. And that's episode 129. The Longest Shortest Time was created by Hilary Frank. This episode was produced by Abigail Keel and Kristen Clark and hosted by me, Casey Wilson. We are edited by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Karam and Jared O'Connell. Our technical director is the Reverend John Delore. Music is performed by hotmoms.gov and directed by Allison Layton Brown. We get editorial support from Anne-Marie Baldonado, Antonia Acatunde, and Reka Murthy. Special thanks this week to some folks at Earwolf LA, Ryan Connor, and Cody Scully. Hillary will be back next week with a brand new episode. She is talking to the writer Ashley C. Ford about her relationship with her dad. He said, I'm just, you know, I'm going to have to have a little conversation with him and let him know, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, you're not, because you've actually been to prison, Dad. Do not miss that show. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time in Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. And as always, The Longest Shortest Time is looking for your stories. Go to longestshortesttime.com and, oh boy, I can't believe I get to say this. Submit your story. Stitcher!